Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Back with us this week is Mayor Rick Blangiardi. Mayor, I feel like the first half of 2023 has really flown by. How is it going for you? You're saying back to us this week. I want to say back to the future or something. I even can't believe today is June 1st. I I agree with you, Brandi. This, this year, I mean, people say... Typically, as you get older, time goes by faster. But this is going by at warp speed. I can't even believe it's been two weeks since you and I sat down together. Since we last sat down yeah. this past weekend, actually, we observed Memorial Day. Yes. I just want to get your thoughts because I know that you were there at the mayor's Memorial Day ceremony. Yes, I was very pleased, very proud of. Uh, I want to thank um, Kael Pu'u from our Department of uh, Rec- Parks and Recreation who really kind of spared all the planning that went into it, but a lot of people participated, but so did our military, and so did the incredible crowd of people who showed up and the people whom we invited. Um, you know, look, I, I don't like to overstate anything, but we wanted to provide a ceremony that would honor those people who were there, those Gold Star families who had lost people and who were buried at, at Punch Bowl, and I felt that we really put our best foot forward when it came to honoring the essence of Memorial Day, the military that were there, and certainly, most certainly, the families that were there um, who, who, like, as I've said earlier, whose, whose loved ones you know, paid the greatest price in sacrificing their lives. For those who weren't able to attend that ceremony or, or weren't able to catch any coverage on the news, what was your message this year? Well, I think our message is the fact that the, the world is in turmoil and that, you know, the very essence of the risk that takes place in these kinds of situations is reflected in, at Punchbowl because these are men and women who died in various wars, in combat, given their lives. And, um, and so just a good reminder that we should have respect for the price that people have paid for our freedom, that we can live together. Really, I think the very the, the embodiment, if you will, of what Memorial Day was about, I thought it was a solemn occasion. As I said up there, it's a sacred day, sacred place, and for a sacred purpose, and so we're there to honor our, honor all those who who are willing to sacrifice their lives. That nobody wants to die. I can tell you that. In going into war, yet all of them did. And when you really think about that, what that takes—that kind of bravery, that kind of courage—put one's life on the line like that is really something. This community, though, truly answered the call when it came to making sure that each. A veteran did have a lay and a flag on their grave. Your response to the turnout, because the community, and I know you sat with one of the community members um, who showed up to help string lay so that your ceremony would have enough come Monday, Memorial Day. No, I was really touched by that, you know, and the lay making ceremony and all the people that came here and they were elsewhere as well to ensure that every grave up there at at Punch Bowl would have both the American flag, which the Boy Scouts put out, uh, and I think, uh, and, and, and a lay, I mean, that, that kind of commemoration, that gesture in and of itself is spectacular. And then add to that the ceremony that we had. But it was uh, I just, you know, I think when it all gets said and done, Brandy was about respect and appreciation, but in a really profound way. It doesn't get more profound than that. And you could feel it. Visually, you could see it. And when you were experiencing it, as we all were up there the other day, when you come away from that, you feel the better for having been through something like that. And there's not a lot of experiences in life that can make you feel that way. We also had the much anticipated return of the lantern flowing ceremony yeah. at Alamona Regional Park. Um, some 45,000 showed up. Your reaction to that ceremony as well? Uh, I was there, and you know, it was um, for the first time in three years, not having done it since 2019, we weren't quite sure of the crowd that would turn out. 
Um, but as it turned out, <laughs> um, they did come. And it was just about as almost the same kind of crowd we were having pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was a glorious night. It rained just enough to create a nice rainbow and a mm-hmm. nice color of the sky as the sun was setting. And with the fl- lo- fl- lo- uh, lanterns on the water, it was just as breathtaking as ever. And I think that, you know, I was sitting in the room with the people who were making their lanterns for about an hour before the whole event started. And, you know, in this post-COVID environment, you could you could feel um, how somber things were, you know, and people being really uh, reflective and wanting to really grad, glad that they could make a lantern to float, but you could see them, you know, um, just working really thoughtfully on the messages that they were writing. It was, you know, look, we've been through a lot the last couple of years, more than most people could have ever imagined in a non-war kind of condition, mm-hmm. just in dealing with a public health issue. And I think, you know, along with Shin Yuan on lantern floating, which a lot of people, uh, you know, they're remembering people who passed for all kinds of different reasons. Just having gone through COVID, I think, for many of us was a real eye-opener and a real appreciation for just how precious life is. In that time of reflection, as you saw others creating their lanterns, is there anyone that came to your mind this Memorial Day? Well, I, I, you know, um, I always think about my mom and dad, always, uh, because they were, uh, you know, in part, the reason why I came to Hawaii, but beyond that, they gave me life. And I know how I grew up as a kid and the sacrifices they made and who they were. And, you know, and I honestly, um, the moment we found out we actually won this election, in that moment, I remember thinking really simultaneously, I wish my mother and father had been alive to, uh, to see that. And, um, and so whenever I get into a situation like that and I have that privacy of my thoughts, if you will, to reflect on people who've passed, my mom and dad always come up first. But then again, I'll say this, lost far too many friends this past year. And I thought about them throughout the evening. There's a lot of people, I mean, I'm not gonna mention their names now, but of late, it seems like uh, every month I've gone to a funeral, and that's the truth, of people I've known, cared about for a long time, in some cases, loved, you know, I lost some close friends. Jim Leahy earlier this year. I mean, I could go through some people, but um, it's that's that in and of itself is a real eye-opener for me. So you get to an event like last night, and. Yeah, there's a lot of soulful reflection. Switching gears now, Mayor, last week marked your final town hall meeting, at least for this round of meetings. Um, and we heard some passionate testimony in that last meeting at Pearl Harbor Elementary. I want to start with the salary commission. Your managing director explained how appointees are in a very different situation compared to those in collective bargaining units, civil service positions. Um, but do you think there's still a lot of confusion? And if so, what can be done? <laughs> Well, I mean, look, I think we're trying to communicate with the public as much as possible. Absolutely right. There's just, this thing got mischaracterized in the press between our team and what the city council was trying to do. And then this one woman who was created all the uh, heated argument the other night was under the impression that I could do that. I could just stop that. And we said, no, it's a different branch of government. And I know since then there's been some different articles that have come out and whatever. Uh, I think our team, our administration, look, as I said, you know, Mayor Caldwell in his last year, first year of COVID, waived salaries. I did so for the last two years. Nobody created any noise and said, hey, way to go, Mayor. This was really good. You guys didn't take a raise, you know? So now, you know, what would have been four years or three years on my watch, uh, according to city charter, when I'm asked if I want to put forth a raise for my, for our workers, I said yes, not knowing what the number would be. 
the salary commission determined that percentage increase and as it turns out it's a couple of points less than what the civil service employees were earning all along but i thought the other thing that came out the other night uh that a lot of people don't understand is there are a lot of workers here in the city who make a lot more than than i do and and and, and other department heads it's just the way the system i don't think people understand that for some reason i i think they thought that uh cabinet members and maybe even the mayor himself because uh this office currently right now pays slightly more than the governor's office and look i had nothing to do with that that's just the way it is it's not a whole lot more but we're not at the high end of the pay scale and a lot of people don't understand that there are a lot of civil service employees here uh who make uh really good money big money and they've been doing so for a long time so this whole thing about us uh or our team being awarded a raise after two years of not getting anything you know they're people too we have a relatively young team and everybody's been caught up in the same inflationary cycle and everybody else has bills to pay i wasn't about to say for three years in a row no this team doesn't deserve a raise if anything over the last two and a half years and you're in this group as well brandy i'm humbled by how hard our people work how dedicated they are how committed they are these jobs none of us have an easy job and i wasn't about to say at this point in time no raises right so looking at it from that uh, I guess question or complaint the way that she brought it up, right? So if this pay raise, if your cabinet members did not receive a raise, what do you think that would do? I guess long-term, because like you said, there are positions in their departments that are making more than the person leading them. What does that look like for recruitment going forward, for the mayor's office Absolutely. going forward, when you're trying to fill these positions? Exactly. She said, well, why don't you don't take a raise? I said, because that would not be good for the mayor's office. You know, and I live each and every day not thinking about me, but about this office, the responsibility that comes with the mayor's office. And this is one more of those. Had I said no, mm-hmm. okay, and everybody else even advanced, you know, the mayor's office would be held back. The last thing you want when I'm all said and done being mayor in this city is people who are going to say, I can't even consider it. I'd like to do it, but the money's off the table. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody would suddenly, like in the private sector, go, let's rethink this. It is already challenging enough across the board knowing full well that many of the people in this city people we need to hire and recruit not even at senior levels that we are criminally underpaying them from what they would earn in the private sector and it does manifest itself the high cost of living in hawaii is just part of it it's all the other things that come with it as well from the standpoint of people's self-respect the careers that they want to have as professionals why they went to school educated themselves mm-hmm. You know, maybe in that case, even having debt for college, trying to raise young kids in today's world. Look, just yesterday in the newspaper, they put out the private school tuitions. They're all up, you know, put a whole finally broke at 30000 but they're all way up there now, making it so the private schools are almost out of reach for anybody who's working at the city. There's just a lot of things like that, that, um, that it's, you know, it's a compound thing. For people, and this is the part that I got really upset about and annoyed, who think they have a right to just simply fixate on some percentage, not even understanding those dollars, comparatively what those dollars are, what the jobs themselves require, Mm -hmm. what they're about, and just think they have a right to make an argument about some number that they don't even understand, I think it's fundamentally wrong. The fact that our compensation has become such a political thing, I don't think is is right. I I mean, you know, I I think that uh, these jobs, all of them could easily pay more. They don't. They're going to be calibrated that way. But the expectations, and I'll say it right now, on the office of mayor, when you're responsible for over 10,000 people and a $4.5 billion budget in today's world, um, 
That is, in the private sector, you don't even have a business like that here in Honolulu. Mm -hmm. That's a major CEO role, and I can promise you those jobs pay multiples of what the mayor in this town makes. So I don't think anybody, as I said, our team has never come in and complained about money. That's not the driver for any of us in this kind of work, and that's why it hurts. And it's also aggravating when people on the outside think that they, they're just totally misjudging the whole thing, and even quite honestly, I think the part that I got upset about is the motivation of the men and women who've committed themselves to do this. This job, for all of us, at every level, requires a sacrifice to do it. And the very least we can do is to try to stay up with giving people raises when the time has come that are well-deserved. Another issue that came up last week at Pearl Harbor Elementary was the safety of tow truck drivers. Yeah that tow truck drivers do fall under emergency vehicles as it relates to the move over law. The move over law, of course, being moving over one lane or slowing down to a reasonable speed when there's an emergency vehicle on the side of the road with lights flashing. So a question seemingly clarified for dozens that night, but potentially tens of thousands for, for years to come. You know, Look, like, I've been driving for a long time. I didn't know that that was a rule. I mean, I you know that it would make sense because typically right. tow trucks, when they have a car behind mm -hmm. them, have got their light on, right? And we pull over for ambulances and fire engines and police cars. Yep. And um, why wouldn't we for them? And we should. And so I thought that was a great point of clarification. It's written right into the law as well. Mm -hmm. Just that people haven't done this. Not anything that's top of mind. So I thought it was very educational for everybody. A man named George came to ask a question last week, but he's also been to a few of our meetings. Yes. But one question I, I do want to ask you about was keeping open one of our discharging sites for liquid waste. Mm. He asked about the site in Pearl City because a lot of businesses were concerned about keeping that site open. It was potentially about to shut down. Um, it, do we have an update? Is that site still open and what's next? I, I don't have an update on that right now. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, if you're talking about Dr. What Dr. Roger Babcock got up there and answered, that uh, I, I have a lot of confidence in ENV, uh, Department of Environmental Services, and, and Dr. Babcock. I think maybe in the next couple of weeks I'll have a specific answer for you on that, but I think that uh, they're very well aware of things like that. Altogether at these town hall meetings, some 2,000 attendees, over 300 questions asked, um, and just about all of them answered, I might ask, and, add, and, and the follow-up is also provided right. to so many of them. So was this, as you called it, a learning experience? Was this oh, a success? Oh, I think very much so. I, I, I think that uh, the very fact that our cabinet, again, uh, whether it was a director or a deputy in some nights, was both of them there. People sacrificed their time to get out to, knowing that they might not even get asked a question, and a number of them never did. But they certainly got sensitized to the community at large, what was of interest uh, to those communities, specifically because each and every one took on its own personality. I th and I think in general, I think it was an opportunity for those 2,000 or so people that showed up uh, for them to get a feel for us. I think we showed a lot of respect going there as an entire team. As you said, we, we not only answered that evening, but we followed up with people as well. Some other good things have come out of it. I, I think we uh, did a good job. And I think more than anything, we're trying to show people that we were there to listen to them to serve them, to answer their questions, to maybe fix some problems. And we got, we got a bunch of that kind of stuff done. So what's next? This last round was 11 meetings, 10 weeks. Yeah. When can people expect to see you back in the communities and, and what will be different the next time around? Well, I think we can go back the next time around, hopefully, and in some cases, maybe not all, in some cases, be able to say, okay, you asked us or you, 
you complained about this or you did something and we this is what we got done right because um, some of the stuff you can't exactly do in the short term uh, boy I would really like to be able to go back uh, out to Laie and talk about the pool you know as an example and we've made we've had a couple of meetings already I had what discussion earlier today uh, about some tax credits for somebody who's want to put up some money to help us raise what would amount to is about $25 million to build that facility out there uh, in Kahuku. But that aside, I think part of it would be that. Part of it would be also, I think, you know, hopefully that this created a really good buzz in the community, and the next time we do it, it won't be novel. It won't be the first time. People have will give them plenty of chance to anticipate. The crowds hopefully would even be bigger, more dynamic. As we move forward in every passing month, and they go by very quickly, as we both talked about, we are making progress, and we are getting things done, unprecedented things done. I want to be able to talk about those things. I think they're going to be able to demonstrate that we're a team that gets things done, and in the particular case of the very respective communities, where we can make a difference and address longstanding problems that they've had or complaints or issues that nobody wanted to deal with, and we did, hoping to be able to share all of that with them. And I think it'll be, I have a lot of confidence that that's exactly what's going to happen. As far as timetable, I want to be respectful of our cabinet. You know, um, I don't want to say in the next six months, but I think within a year we'll be back out. And same format, like you mentioned, your yeah. your whole cabinet was yeah. there. Yeah, I like it that way. I think the ca I think the team liked it that way, and it was you know of itself a team building deal. And um, I think a lot of people got to know each other a little bit better. And I think look, we've talked a lot about this, but in the city. Men and women do have to work together. It very much is a team approach. It's not a place where you can function and function well in any kind of silo activity. And I think we bro we've broken down a lot of the walls here. I see the cooperation, the collaboration, even the friendship among the cabinet members, and that's encouraging to me because at the end of the day, to get things done, oftentimes on any simple project, it might take two or as many, three different departments in some places where it's a little bit more complicated. It takes more than that. And so the fact that these people like and respect each other and can work well together, that's good for the people who live here. To have a city leadership team that functions like a team and works together to solve problems. Moving on now, just last week, the official 2023 hurricane season forecast was released. Yeah. Uh, busier than normal season forecast for the Eastern Pacific, but these are always a little tricky, yeah. right? While it's always better to be prepared than to not be prepared, these forecasts haven't always been exactly correct and it's not top of mind on blue sky days so how do you make that call to action well that's the challenge right because we've had a lot of near misses we've had a lot of preparation right. we we certainly you know bang the drum loudly when we get into hurricane season about the possibilities and then your fear is that while you're trying to prepare people as best as possible you don't at the same time want to be crying wolf mm -hmm. right and so we've had some near misses. You know, both of us came out of media backgrounds, and we've spent nights looking at Doppler radar screens, radar screens, expecting the worst, hoping for the best. In many cases, you know, it didn't get so bad as we had prepared for. And you know, you just worry about that. The people will let down their guard. So I think the best thing we could do at the city is if we get into something, and I hope to God we don't. But if we get into something, how we communicate with them on the reality and the severity of it, what they need to prepare for, uh, and, and everything else that we can, it will be the best thing we could do. Um, but hopefully we'll do it in a way that'll be, people understand if we're saying it's really serious that they're gonna believe it's really serious and not to be crying wolf, but to really try to save lives. 
Earlier this week, you got to announce the start of $3 million in awards to Oahu farmers, yeah. uh, ranchers, growers in the form of our ag grants. Why is this so significant? And what do you hope that this money does? Well, it's significant on so many levels. I, and I uh, was out there and, and, and said this to them because, first of all, this is a group, our urban farmers, if you will, the small farmers that sort of fell through the cracks during the pandemic. There's not a lot of relief. And many of them really got hit financially. They were really hurt. At the same time, through their generosity, because their supply chains had been cut off because people weren't, you know, the restaurants were closed, the hotels, whatever. They donated a lot of food. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of things for a lot of months um, and try to help people get through. I can tell you, I was more than a couple of food drives in, in lines of distributing food and it was all donated by, by yeah. farmers. So it was all that good stuff that now, um, this many months later, and actually we have a second number coming up for another eight million. We want to try to get as much money as possible so we can give to these farmers um, the opportunity to in, you know invest in their properties maybe recover a little bit at the same time, grow their products. We've done some other things with it, you know, on, on the other side with our good food uh, program, trying to get, well, not trying to, the city committed. We're gonna buy X amount of our food from local farmers. We've got the hotels that come in this year. We got community mayor schools. So we had some other strategic partners, mm -hmm. right? So we're trying to get all that stimulated because we import far too much of our food. And then I think, you know, the, the other part of it is that, um, the reality is we import more than 85% of our food here. That is really out of whack, and especially given the shipping costs. It's not like we're in the contiguous 48 where it's just getting driven over the, to the next state because we don't grow corn here, ex mm -hmm. for example. So we'll just have the guy drive 200 miles in a trailer truck and pull up to the supermarket. Everything that gets shipped in here is expensive, and however it comes in. Uh, and so when you add to that, you look at that, that kind of dependence, when we talk about the high cost of living in Hawaii, obviously that really contributes to it as well. So anything we can do to alleviate that risk, if you will, of, of not being cut off from that food supply from the mainland or being able to draw and help our local economy with good local food and our restaurants and stuff, and they can in turn support our food. All of that makes good sense. We just have to be kind of like a rainmaker in this thing, sort of the angel to a project with this federal money that we can then hand out, in this particular case, $3 million to 66 different farmers. You know, the amount of money for some of these guys, even getting $70,000, dollars $80,000 mm -hmm. is a big, big benefit uh, because they're not in a position where they could even necessarily accrue that kind of money through savings. So the fact we can come in, and for that sole purpose of doing that, it's a lot of stimulus. Mm -hmm. We're excited about that. I'm looking forward to doing more and more of that. The more we can do of that, the better. It's about how you grow a business. So we're doing it on both sides. Mm -hmm. right? We're doing it on the buying side, by a good food program, or we're doing it on the product side, by incentivizing, and, well, it's beyond incentivizing, but it is incentive. If somebody gets a financial benefit like that, that helps them a lot. That is a, a shot in the arm. So it's not like a bonus. It's just enabling them to do the work that they want to do. You know, the farmers we talked to the other day, you get around somebody who's doing that for a living, they're really passionate. I mean, they're really into it, and, and they really care, and they care deeply. So it's kind of almost a soulful calling, and we want to support that. You joined the governor at a blessing ceremony last week for their kohale. What did that look like? And for those who, who weren't there, you know, what did you say? And what do you hope this project does? Well, first of all, I congratulated the governor for his vision on this. When I first heard about it, I mean, I was like, you know, I was surprised by it. 
but now when you see it manifest and you see the uh, the 12 huts there, you know, with the beds inside, they're nicely furnished, and not, there's nothing plush, I mean, uh, but the fact that they have necessary wraparound services and serves as a hospital respite right across from Queens, from those people who are homeless who may be getting, you know, uh, become outpatients at the hospital, but they still need a place to rest and not on a sidewalk, um, this could really be a big help. I think it's just the first of a number of efforts like this uh, we've talked a lot about combining our services on facilities that the city has, along with the wraparound services the state can ultimately provide, because the state, the Department of Health exists at the state level. The city and county doesn't have it. As a result of having a Department of Health, they have access to a lot of federal money and other kinds of appropriations um, that they can help work towards providing these wraparound services for the care and well-being. So, look, I, I've said it all along. Governor Green and I have promised unprecedented collaboration. It was a really good feel-good meeting the other day. I want to take nothing away from that small Kalahale. We need a lot more than that, though. And we're going to hopefully get some of those big projects done uh, that can be really significant in getting people off the streets. Um, when you talk about promises made, promises kept. You know, a long time ago, we talked about revitalizing Chinatown, um, the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Park. And... Promises kept. Jazz in the park is coming back for a second round. Yeah, tomorrow night. Yeah, for th actually third concert. Thir third there. concert. Third concert for free. They've been well received. Second one was better than the first, and I'm hoping that the publicity that's getting out there will even draw more. I've gone to both. One of them got hit with a little bit of rain one night. That was not the best <laughs> thing that happened. But they, the second one was definitely better attended than the first. But they were both well attended. It seemed like a very kind of hip evening to have out there, and then, you know, right next to the white there, and the park looks really nice, and the people came, they brought chairs, and there was young kids there, and older people there, and I think everybody liked the fact that there was a little free concert with some pretty good entertainment, I might add. They got good entertainment, um, and, and people were there, they stayed for the whole thing, and then they all clapped afterwards. So it, was, it wasn't like, I think we thought in the beginning, maybe people will saunter through, come mm -hmm. by, stop mm -hmm. for a song or two, I saw a couple of people do that because obviously maybe they were surprised by it because they weren't expecting it, didn't know about it, and then just stopped because of what it was. But a lot of people came and sat and stayed. And I saw some bringing their own chairs they, they and stuff. chairs, they brought yeah. food. I mean, the second one, second one had different behaviors than the first one. I some dancing people, and yeah, people caught on real quickly and said, "Okay, this is cool." So this is going to be our third one. I think it's going to be a great success. Mayor, this next question is kind of silly. <laughs> Last week, we had Zoo Director Linda Santos on this podcast. Wow. And she announced a public naming contest for the baby rhino, the first rhino born at the Honolulu Zoo. Wow. If it was up to you, what would you name our newest addition to the Honolulu Zoo? It's a baby Gee. rhino. Wow. Maybe we should call it Josh. What do you think? <laughs> Give some support to the governor. We <laughs> name the rhino after him. Tell him, hey, just go take charge. You said it was well, silly. I it just, is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Governor Green no, will hear this. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's a really kind of crazy question. But, you know, really, when you think about it, naming a rhino, you want to have a really kind of cool name, right? Yeah. I, I have to think about that one. Well, Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything we missed? No, but I'm probably in trouble with the governor now. So I was only kidding, Gov. <laughs> I was only kidding. But actually, it's meant as a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, first yeah. one, it's historic. Hey, look, from what I know about rhinos, they're, they're, uh, they're, they hold their own in the jungle. <laughs> well, Mayor, this is the One O'ahu podcast, so for one final thought. Well, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about Memorial Day, and we talked about how fast June is here. I think that I would just say to everybody as we get ready now to enjoy the summer months, and as each and every day we 
pull away further from COVID. You know, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for. Let's enjoy our families. Let's enjoy each other. Let's make it a great summer for our Kiki who are at home and get them into programs. And hopefully we have a lot of kids in summer fun and just continue to enjoy life. But understand that nothing, nothing comes easily and we all have to work really hard uh, on a going forward basis to help each other make this the best place we could ever possibly live. Mayor, thank you. You're welcome. And if you have a question for Mayor Rick Blangiardi or any of the departments here in the city and county of Honolulu, you can submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. Until next week, aloha.